Game Boys. Mor- mornings end at 4 p.m. That's probably that's about right, especially when you work on, when you live in Central Time and work on Pacific Time. When this when the sun's up, it's morning. Yep. And when it goes down, it's the afternoon. And when you're asleep, it's nighttime. You 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 walk by someone at 3:45 p.m. on the street. You look them in the eyes. You tell them good morning. Yeah, that's. I mean, I do. And if you don't, you're a freak. Um, yeah. Okay, so I have two two weird things to tell you. Do you want to hear about uh, municipal infrastructure failure, or do you want to hear about Roswell, New Mexico first? Um, I mean, obviously Roswell, New Mexico. Wow, what a choice. Uh, okay, so I'll start with Roswell. Um, both stories are both stories are pretty interesting. So Ro- I was just uh, going to the lightning field in New Mexico. It's cool art installation. Uh, it didn't get struck by lightning. There's other cool lightning stuff that happened, so that's fine. Um, but on the way we stopped in Roswell and unbeknownst to us, uh, Roswell was having alien fest over July 4th weekend. So Roswell, which presumably has a pretty high quotient of weird freaks on like a regular day was like off the charts for alien fest. It's like not, isn't everyday alien fest there? There's, there's a, there's a bigger day even. Yeah. This is, well, that's what I mean. This is like, normally you'll probably have like 50 or 60 people wandering around being like, and this is where the aliens landed and kidnapped the army or whatever. But there's like hundreds. I'm sure there was a hot resurgence too, with all this UFO talk happening in our, in our national dialectic. Uh, dialogue, but yes, dial dial. No, dialectic is the second evolution, Pokemon evolution of dialogue. All right, well, sure, it's the, t- <laughs> it's the teen dialogue, yes, and it evolves into discourse. Um, <laughs> uh, so we were there and they had at the UFO museum, they had tables and tables and tables of just like dudes in crazy bandanas with big long beards, all selling their books that were like aliens abducted my mom. And here's how I know it's in my genes or whatever. <laughs> and it was fucking crazy. It's, there were so many the stories in his pants. It's stitched to the side of his pants. Yeah. And there was, or even more of a genetical modification or both. <laughs> Hmm. Um, there were so many people dressed as aliens. There was a bunch of like uh, evangelical, like Jesus is Lord people, but they were all wearing cloaks with alien masks. Sure. Um, that was a pretty interesting thing. Uh, all these people to me are more normal now than than the general milieu, because everyone nor like quote unquote normal is seeing all these UFO stories and just going about their day. Like like the activated people to me seem at this point the most sane. I mean, that's fair. And like you. So that's fair. And if you go to the Roswell UFO Museum, you'll see some pretty like interesting like, huh, seems like they've been covering this up for a long time. But also you'll <laughs> see some smoking spaceships or what? Like There's like there's like a, like these two people were in the army. And when they went to present the Roswell findings, they brought in a bunch of broken metal. And then the people in the government came, took the metal, replaced it with a hot air balloon. And then they had to present the hot air balloon. And everyone laughed them out of the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and like stories like that, but it's intermingled with like stuff like that or like, oh, there's like, here's some soil samples that are like weird and anomalous that were found at the crash site and nowhere else and stuff like that. But then there are mm-hmm. also like, here's a section of paintings of what aliens might look like. <laughs> yes. And that's the real scientific, uh, section. Yeah. In uh, that section, that there good. was one of a green alien with big black eyes doing the Hamlet pose and holding a skull. <laughs> It was just like, why? What do you, what is this? What, who is this for? 
Um, if it's, for, it's like the like if you like Shakespeare and Aliens, got to be a little bit of a Venn diagram I mean, there. I, li- I mean, I liked it because I do like Shakespeare yeah. and Aliens, but it was just a very bizarre thing. But was there any? But that all sounds like stuff you'd see any year. Was there anything about the specific new revelations? Were people chatting about them? Oh, there were some people who at their book tables were like not even really pitching their book, and they were like, "The next thing I'm going to write about is these new revelations because this is all stuff we all knew this was going on, but finally it's becoming they can't even hide it anymore, and it's time to like." let the people know. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's like a lot of that energy. There's definitely like um, one guy who they had like a series of speakers and I didn't see any of like the speakers because we were only there for a couple hours, but they had a guy who was like uh, UFOs then and now comparing the new revelations to everything we already knew about aliens. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was definitely a guy who like had a speech planned, scrapped it and wrote a new one. Um, (laughs) Which is, you know, that's pretty fun. That's pretty cool. It's uh, kind of like 12 more rules from Jordan Peterson. Uh, it's like, uh, yeah, well, we obviously we all want to believe here. But Lux, what is your personal at this moment in time? Take are aliens among us and are they sus? Um, probably no. Hmm. But probably Devastating soon. Devastating to hear. I mean, here's probably the thing. soon. Here's the thing. <laughs> sounds it, like so sounds like every text I get when I invite someone to a party. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, so my my true, sincere, no jokes, alien belief is like I do believe in like the Fermi hypothesis. Like, the universe is sufficiently large that it's mathematically impossible that there aren't aliens out there somewhere. Right. Um. The thing about contact that I find hard to reckon with is like if they're sufficiently technologically advanced to find Earth and they look at it, well, why would they really want to come here? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're only on the PS5. Yeah. And so to me, it sort of seems like maybe they would show up if things get sufficiently good or sufficiently bad mm-hmm. um, to either like loot the planet of its resources before we destroy it or alternatively to like make actual contact. Well, you've solved that 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 issue, though, by already looting the world of its resources. So it's like that's there's no danger in aliens well, coming for resources. Except like, uh, you know, there's like uh, complex heliums at the bottom of the ocean that we could use for uh, fuels, but we don't. But maybe they want those. You know, there's definitely like man. helium three on the moon. No yeah. one better touch my helium. Um, I, I learned about helium three and I've still have yet to hear anything about helium two. I only know about regular helium and helium three, but like the, the middle one is I know nothing about. It's like Hummers. You rarely saw an H2, but <laughs> H3s were everywhere on the road. Yeah. Um, and I think that's actually the it was the Hummer helium three. It stood first. <laughs> that's what the H was actually for, which is confusing. Yeah, but, you know. We use them all to make big trucks that guys like take three spots at a grocery store parking lot with. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, listen, uh, here's my big take. N- because your take leads to my take, funnily enough. My take is that we're spending all this time looking up at the stars when we should be looking under the water. Yep. That's right, folks. In my opinion, and especially based on all these new revelations where the majority of these UFOs are seen hovering above the ocean, sometimes even diving below the seas, methinks there potentially have always been here right below our waves. And it's always like after playing Subnautica, I was like, why aren't we going down first before we're going out? You know, we got to look inward. Do you think that's what James Cameron is doing? Like, do you think he met aliens yeah. down there and he just keeps going mm-hmm. back to visit and that's like the real juice? 
<laughs> like he didn't his, even want to make the Avatar sequels. They're commanding him to do them. Yeah, they're asking him to tell their story. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, tell the people about us. <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> get Ubisoft to make a game. Make sure it's it's uh, 7 out of 10 at least. <laughs> make sure it's open world but dramatically inert. <laughs> That's what I crave. <laughs> Folks, dramatically inert. Welcome to Game Boys. Yeah. That's reminding me. I'm Griffin. And I'm Lux. And we're joined by Haley, our producer and confirmed alien. On the whoa, 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 ones and twos. Yeah, you could call her a Halion. On the ones and H3s. We got a Halion up in the house. Um, good to have her with us. Um, and we got a show today to do what to, to do to die today. We have some stuff to talk about. And I th- wanted to start, Lux, if I may, with a story that you sent me about our world. A- as we go big and we'll start, then we'll go, we'll keep on zooming in on the map. But right now we're talking about the world at large. We're talking about international affairs. I had to look at this story about uh, the Middle East and the U.S. withdrawal, and how that affects the gamers, too. <laughs> yeah, this shit is unbelievable. It's like, it's not unbelievable. I thought this was a joke. It's it's very believable, but it's very funny and insane. <laughs> so the article you sent me was from a website called Anime News Network, titled, U.S. Troop Withdrawal from Afghanistan Leaves Pokemon Go Digital Remains. Now, I followed up on this to starsandstripes.com. Uh, where there's an updated version of this article um, from July 2nd, 2021. Soldiers watched the U.S. withdrawal from Bagram Airfield through the lens of Pokemon Go. Now, you know, there's been a lot of talk about uh, leaving Afghanistan. You know, we've been chatting about it for a couple decades now. We decide, hey, you know, let's let's pull some of the soldiers out and leave like all of the like war criminal military contractors stationed in there. But, you know, we're taking out the we're taking out the grunts. We're taking out the NPCs. Yeah. I mean, you got to get, you know, but you got to take the normal people out. But Blackwater still needs somewhere to go. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you know, they can't leave. In terms of we're, we're, we're taking away the NPCs, but we're leaving the turret def- tower defense systems uh, and, and but, you know, we're leaving more than that. We're, we're leaving uh, a digital <laughs> adventure yeah, behind. We're leaving augmented reality. <laughs> and that all and that often gets missed by the mainstream media. Um, that, that's something that we haven't heard. So I want to get into a little bit of this article. Kabul, Afghanistan. Digital rodents and abandoned Pokemon presided over the streets of Bagram Airfield on the day news broke that U.S. troops had left the base. All U.S. forces have left Bagram, where for much of the past 20 years was the largest military base in Afghanistan, U.S. defense officials announced Friday. But the animated critters and some of what's left on base are visible in digitally animated form through the game app Pokemon Go. Talks a little bit about what Pokemon Go is. Folks, you know that. Uh, We weren't expecting Pokemon Go to be thriving in Bagram, and yet it was, recalled U.S. Army's uh, Corey Olson, an an electrical technician for attack helicopters who played the game with others from his shop in 2019. Yeah, you know, it's like, wow, you know, the one thing we got right. Yeah. You know, for my attack helicopter was catching a Pidgeotto. <laughs> yeah, you had to fly up there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you fly up there. You, know, you get so many more fucking flying Pokemon up there when you can actually get in a helicopter. Yeah. That's where uh, what the metal Corvids and shit live. 
<laughs> uh, playing the game offered a chance to catch Pokemon in Afghanistan that can't be caught in America. And that's another reason to stay, as some monsters can only be found in certain regions of Afghanistan. Do you think yes, that's, that's why right. they withdrew, like, kept delaying the withdrawal? Was they were like, we got to make sure that someone has all of them? <laughs> It's like like the George Bush did the mission accomplished thing, but it was because he found Mr. Mime. <laughs> uh, the game was also a chance to socialize. Seven players who spoke to stars and tribes. Troops and civilians. Oh, troops and civilians would drive around the base visiting Pokemon gyms. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad they put the Pokemon gyms inside the U.S. bases. So like if you, did, if you did luckily have a fucking uh, phone in Afghanistan and you were a civilian, you had to go to the U.S. US base. <laughs> yeah. If you wanted to like level your Vaporeon. <laughs> and also, come on, talk about uh, the sort of the, I mean, very overpowered nature of living on top of a gym that some people experience. Like, you know, people who like lived in an apartment complex on top of a gym, that was easy mode for them. Yeah. Uh, being able to start a conversation with a complete stranger in the middle of a war zone about something like Pokemon was a great way to stay social. That is, I've highlighted a few truly deranged quotes in here, and that is one of them. <laughs> um, that is, it's so crazy. Like, I mean, we talk a lot about, you know, uh, video games and, uh, and and sort of like what what do most people do at in war now? It's like they literally are like. They're, they're like people who like show up to a situation like like ground troops just like wait around for months doing nothing. And then they like show up to a situation and like cordon it off with red like with ropes and caution tape. And then like three guys from Blackwater go in and kill like 20 civilians like like that's all they do. So they have all this time to game, you know, that's um, true. What else would you do? Uh, John Sutter played Pokemon Go at Bagram and at New Kabul Compound while deployed in 2019 as a captain with the Alaska National Guard. He saw his base had a Pokemon gym occupied by a Voltorb, a creature known for blowing itself up. I thought, we can't have no IED Pokemon on the FOV. <laughs> that's that's my that's my number one quote of the of the article. Um <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like this is a. I kept on rechecking to make sure this was not oh, you some should, sort of meme website. You should <laughs> just ask me and send me this article because I know the guy who wrote this article. Wait, I went to get come on. I went to college with JP Lawrence. I could definitely message him to see if he wants to come on and talk about it sometime. That would be awesome. I didn't I'd know that because I hadn't read the the Stars and Stripes one. But then when you sent it to me, I opened the link and immediately it was like, blah, blah, and I was like, I first, know that guy, and he does military for, reporting. For a second, I thought you meant you know you knew John Sutter, the the IED guy. I do not um, know that guy. I know the author of the article. So yeah, Voltorb Forever is an IED Pokemon. Uh, you can't have uh, an IED on the forward operating base. Mm -hmm. Well, Vol Vol Voltor buzz, so IEDs could blow. Um, so Sol Sutter said he battled the Voltorb and won, only to see others regain control. You develop rivals who would take over your gym, Sutter recalled. Gyms changed hand constantly when thousands of U.S. and coalition troops remained in Afghanistan. But when the withdrawal from Bagram accelerated, some Pokemon reigned far longer than ever before. That was the real problem, too. It's like when you when you leave, you you leave a power vacuum mm -hmm. for, you know, more radical forces like sort of like Tales so, oldest time, like maybe, uh, you know, like a, an Arcanine. Or like, you know, uh, a nine-year-old who's playing a children's game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
most radical force of all. Uh, screenshots of Bagram after the troops left show low-level Pokemon, normally easily defeated, stuck guarding locations, perhaps indefinitely. A tiny Lotad has defended the former warrior chapel at Bagram for 10 days, while a lowly Aeron has defended a memorial to a fallen service bender for about two weeks. Still, Sutter said he assumes someone from Afghanistan will take over his gym someday if they haven't already. I'm sure somewhere in Afghanistan, some kid is bragging about how he took control of an American Pokemon gym, he said. <laughs> Fucking nails digging into his arm rest. Yes, blood coming out of his eyes. <laughs> a, sc- a scream hiding behind his face. Like other veterans, he said he is pessimistic about the future of Afghanistan after the U.S. withdrawal, but he hopes the situation improves one day to the point he can once again play Pokemon Go there. Maybe in 20 years, I can ride a motorcycle south and reclaim that Pokemon gym again, he said. And then you scroll down and there's a picture of my friend from college, J.P. Lawrence, graduating Columbia Journalism School in Bard College. There he is. Wow, there he is. That's a crazy coincidence. Incredible. JP, we'll have you on soon. You can't hear this now, but you'll hear it one day. Um, What a what an incredible experience, because, you know, I'm torn because obviously one of the things we talked a lot about was sort of the social aspects of Pokemon Go being very exciting. Um, But I thought what was specifically funny about this is that none of these military guys spoke to like those social aspects the only things that they cared about were claiming their territory which was easily gotten because they lived on top of the gyms and bitching about other people taking over their gyms like that that's the only lesson they talked about well they they said it was a great way to stay social with each other certainly it's it's unclear Uh, it doesn't seem like it did the thing where like the story you want to hear is that like Oh, an American soldier like bonded with a bunch of Afghani children over their shared love of like Zapdos. And even Uh, that shit, you see those stories and even that shit's obviously all like military whitewashing. Uh, But you'd expect them to at least go to that level. But no, they're like these motherfucking IED Pokemon. I got to come back there and beat these, like take back my gym. Like literally like his dream is a future where he can come and like reconquest all over again. That's the dream. Um, Yeah, no, that does seem to be what they're looking for. It is very fascinating and it is very like it also obviously like kind of highlights a type of like cultural imperialism thing where like like iron hands and velvet gloves sort of thing where it's like yeah we're the army in your country but also like don't you want to play pokemon mm-hmm. um and i think this is like a really jarring example of it i'd like to I'm, i am curious if we could get jp on what he would have to say about this because this is like a very fascinating thing and i wonder where he stands on it it's, um, yeah it's it's also interesting to me because it's like in, in these sort of days where the state has so much power and we feel very powerless it seems like you can at least emotionally fuck with these people by like fucking them up in video games yeah. uh, which i don't know feels feels small and inadequate but still very funny so you know even a little bit of something is is good or at yeah. least like interesting victories on the digital battlefield i guess um but uh yeah i i mean we gotta get troops back out there <laughs> um we gotta get some guys out there again i'm uh, 
this, like what like yeah. Tucker Carlson should do a bit on this. This is yeah, this would be some pretty wild Tucker Carlson's like, we are letting <laughs> Afghani children control every gym in US. There is there is a goddamn Lapras owned by an eleven year old girl from Afghanistan and it's guarding a memorial to our fallen brave <laughs> troops. That is a an disgrace. <laughs> an American company like Pokemon cannot allow this to happen. Uh, so yeah, much big ups to our our middle our Middle Eastern uh, Pokemon uh, civilian comrades. Uh, Hell yeah! But, you know, there, there's other stuff going on. Lux, anything anything you're on your brain? Um, we got, I got a few other things. I just got back, but I, can I tell you a non-video game story that's just like an interesting, crazy thing that happened? You can tell me a fable, yeah. Okay, I'll tell you a fable. Uh, yesterday, I was going to visit friend of the show, Rory, for his birthday. Happy birthday, Rory. Happy birthday, uh, Rory. And I took a ride share from, from my place to Rory's house, and we were going down 35, and the fucking lamppost on the side of the highway just fell over into the middle of the road in front of our car and the car next to us, and we just had to get out of the car. Like, there was no one there to fix it. There was, seemed to be no one trying to fix it or do anything about it. We should get out of the car and move a lamppost out of the way. Like it's just there's so much of this failing infrastructure stuff all around this damn country. And it's like can't even keep our goddamn lamppost up. But we got military bases full of Pokemon Go. <laughs> yeah. Um, that shit was why crazy. Why don't we get the Pokemon to fix it? Uh, what did I, I, I did at any point you say this is now my lamppost? Like this was given to me, and if I, I take wasn't on the way to Rory's house, I probably could have claimed it for my own and taken it home. I mean, because you think, wonder how much one of those costs. I mean, I think it'd be pretty baller. You hold it ransom from the city, be like, I need you to give me an Xbox Series S, um, and a ten-year Game Pass. Mm. Ah, yes, 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 um, yes. But yeah, it's just like, I don't know. It's been on my mind a lot lately, obviously, like the heat wave stuff, all the infrastructure shit. And like, just seeing it happen in real time was very striking. Yeah. For a long time, I was under the assumption that like we would just be experiencing the worst, like we would be just seeing the worst of climate changes, like on your TV, that like to live in America, you would like just kind of be sort of protected from a lot of it. But it seems like it's like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of places you're not going to be able to live soon. Uh, and isn't that exciting? Isn't that an exciting feeling? To be like, oh, I'm I'm not going to miss the R Roland Emmerich movie. Yeah. I'm I mean, not going to just be in act one. <laughs> no, we're going to have to move to I think we're going to have to get all our friends together and move to like Duluth, Minnesota. That's going to be awesome. I really do think, though, that like there are going to be like as giant cities become super unlivable and collapse in on themselves. Austin, Los Angeles. Uh, then like. There is going to be like new ass cities popping up because we do have a lot of space, but we just don't have a lot of like infrastructure or, um, <clears throat> you know, common sense. Yeah, we um, yeah, that is pretty accurate. I mean, I'm not even really joking about like trying to get a group of people together to like all go in on like a large house in Duluth and just all live together in a place like on a commune. Like, I'm not yeah, even really I'm, kidding. It, like, it's cold there. It's near a body of fresh water that is consistently drinkable and is naturally cooled by underground rocks like. I just need good internet. That's the only thing. If like if we can get good internet out there, like I'm set. Because right. yeah, what a, what do we have here? It's like everything about life just gets worse, hotter, and lonelier. So why don't we just make a town? You yeah, know, totally. I mean, it's like I'm fucking. 
it's hard, you know, I would love to just sit outside and play Mario Golf. When I go outside, it's so hot, my skin falls off. Yeah. Um, I'm loving Mario Golf, by the way. If you want to segue back to video games, I started playing Mario Golf Super Rush. It's very fun. Talk to me about it. Um, it's nice. It's fun. I like I like the uh, the like chasing the ball around element of it. That is like the new addition where like you hit the ball and you have to run to the ball and there's like a timed element um, or you can play like you can there is you can also play like, straight up just golf or you just hit the ball and move and hit the ball and move and hit the ball and move. But you can also play this timed version where like you have, you know, a minute 30 to do the hole and your opponents can like knock you over and stop you from getting to the ball. You just like run around. It's very fun. It spices up the golf a little bit. And just the straight up golf mode is also very good. Um, what I really like about it is that when you play the adventure mode, you don't get to play as any of the Mario characters. You can only play as a me. And you can either, I think, have a pre-made, you can either have a me or they have a few pre-made ones, including my favorite, Uncle. So <laughs> me, been, Uncle? I've been running through the adventure mode as Uncle and loving it. Uh, so I always hated the me's. They've always, to me, been like these weird, like, zombie mannequins. Um, and they make me uncomfortable. Um, yeah. And so you're not in, in the story mode. You literally are me. Yeah. You can only be a me as far as I could tell. And you have to kill Mario and everyone else at golf. Take them down at golf. Yeah. yeah. I don't think you have to like murder them, but you do have to <laughs> beat them at golf. Uh, yeah. I always like a sports game that like adds an element that isn't related to the sport, yep. like running after your ball. Yeah. That, that that's fun. Uh, did you play with anyone else? Uh, yeah. Last night, actually, uh, at Rory's birthday, we played, uh, around with, uh, four people. We didn't play the speed round. We played like normal golf, but it was still very fun. Um, the special shots are all very cool. Um, it has a good mix of like, it's not like that old, what was like Tiger Woods 2004, where you could basically just control where the ball went while it was in the air. Um, yeah. like it doesn't give you that kind of control, but it gives you decent spin control and bend control. So you can manipulate the ball a pretty good amount. So it's not just like hit a hit a over and over again. Like there is like strategy and like calculations like that involved. Um, and it, it's good. It plays really smooth. It's really fun. I played it in the road a bunch on the trip. I really enjoyed it. Um, I think it's a really good game. I think it's a game that everyone should play. You know, a golf game can really, it, 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 to me, it'll never excite me, but it can surprise me each time with like how it fills a trip or something. Like I remember playing Golf Story on vacation and being like, wow, this really filled out my trip, you know? Yeah, that's um, that's the exact, that's literally the experience that I had. There were stretches on the trip where I was just like, everyone was like tired, no one wanted to talk. And it was like, I've been reading for a long time. I don't feel like reading right now. I'm just going to bust out Mario Golf, look, play a quick 18. And I love yeah. it. I had a great time. On the freaking switch, which hey, now that we're now that we're on switch talk, we got we got a new switch in the house. Big news story. Nintendo releases finally the 4K edition of the Nintendo Switch. This thing, this thing runs at 145 frames per second. It's got it's it's a 5K monitor, 4K screen. Uh, and it's, it's got 300 terabytes of storage. I mean, this thing has everything. Well, or does it? <laughs> um, because Folks, I think what it is, has, what, what, what is OLED and what, and what, yeah. And who is trying to make that happen? Um, it'll, it, it takes less battery. So that's good. Okay. Um, I think the lights are brighter which will uh, make things a little bit easier to see and make it a little bit easier to play with. Okay. Um, and uh, it apparently leaves more capacity for storage for reasons that I don't understand. It's skinnier. Um, 
but yeah, and it's a little skinnier, a little smaller. Um, but yeah, it's I I do feel there's a like new switch. Yeah, there's a new <laughs> switch, the OLED switch. It did feel when I saw it, uh, when I saw like the notification on my phone that like, Nintendo had made this announcement. It felt like a lot of like air getting let out of a balloon kind of thing because like even though I said on the podcast I said to you in private that like I'm not mega interested in the Switch Pro. I don't I don't like need it to be 4K. I'm pretty happy with how it plays now. I don't I feel like the the Xbox Series S would still like way precede the Switch Pro as far as thing that I want to get. Um, it was still an interesting thing, and this to me is just like okay, like who cares. You know, well, obviously, like, if you haven't bought a switch yet and you're thinking of investing in one, it's probably worth it to get the OLED one. It probably looks a little bit better, probably is a little bit easier to maintain. But like if you already have a switch, this does, I, I can't imagine this really changes the game for anyone who already owns a switch. And it's hard to imagine yeah. people who want a switch who don't already have one at this point. Yeah, it really just seems like it's like for people who haven't bought a switch yet. And then it's like, why would you buy any other one now? I, I don't know. It's 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 weird for a few ways, because like to me, the biggest thing about all of this is, you know, just to break down the specs for a second, it's just it's still a 720p display. It's you're not getting like 1080 on that thing. Um and it's gonna have just this new screen. Um it, it's not going to have like that much more storage. Let's see, it's what's a revised model includes 64 gigs up from 32. That's fine. They're like trying to make this like dock on the back of thing. It's like, oh, it's a wider dock. It's like, yeah, you probably needed that originally it's like fine so it just seemed these seem like all like little tweaks to the original rather than like the new switch and all of that tells me is just like this is a story about just the coronavirus again they could not get enough of the super chips or whatever it takes to make these things in in a, in a fast enough time because i think they could have made a 4k switch it's not like it's technologically not possible i literally just don't think they had the microchips for it i think that's definitely possible i think that like it's uh it's weird like the, the oled thing is like beneficial in some ways but yeah it's just such a small thing that this cannot like it feels like you got to be right because like this cannot be the thing that was percolating behind the scenes that was supposed to make like a big impact and like wow people because mm-hmm. like colors will look better on oleds like it's individually lit pixels. So everything is going to look a little sharper and the colors will be a little bit, but blacks will be a little darker and colors will be a little brighter and it's going to use fewer lights per image. So it's going to take a little bit less battery. It's probably, it's a smaller light installation. So there's more room for other stuff in there and we'll blah, 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 whatever. But like that just doesn't feel like enough to feel like that was going to like blow anyone's hair back. Like there was no, like there's something about Mary, like, like orgasm scene to be had about this upgrade. Like it's a change and it's probably a, a slightly better experience, but I don't think it's something that like would blow anyone's mind. Now it makes sense why they didn't announce it at E3. Cause like, mm-hmm. I think if it had been announced at E3, everyone would just been like, well, what? But also is the battery better? Cause it's not advertised as a better battery. Um, like it's, I don't, I don't think it's a different battery. It's just that OLEDs use less power draw than an LCD does. Cause LCDs have to be turned sure. on all at once. And OLED only has to turn on parts of it at a time. Right. So I'm like, yeah, to me, I'm like, well, it's like it doesn't sound like the battery is that much better because they, they would have talked about it as a feature. Yeah, um, it should. It, so. it should just because of the way lights work, hold charge longer, if not like a ton longer. Yeah. But like it doesn't get as much power to produce an individual image because I love the switch. But like, you know, one thing that's certainly true is like me playing like a 2D indie on the switch versus like me playing golf story on the switch versus me playing Breath of the Wild or Monster Hunter World. Like that's a massive battery difference in terms of how long I can play it on there. Right. Well, you can play Um, a fun little indie on the switch for 
six, eight hours and you can play like Breath of the Wild for like an hour and a half. I, I, I would say three, three yeah, hours. I was, I was being a little bit hyperbolic, but yeah, like, yeah, it's a, it's, just, sure. it's, it's just, it is like a big time difference. And I think, yeah, I think you're right that if, if this somehow kind of bumped both those numbers up substantially, I think pe- that would be like a big thing that people were talking about because like it is, it is true that if they were like, Hey, with the new switch OLED thing, you could play your switch without having to charge it on a flight from New York to LA or something. Um, mm-hmm. And play your switch the whole time playing a super high res, big processing power game. That would at least that would be pretty impressive and would at least like sort of change the the discourse, I think, in a, in a meaningful way. Whereas what we have instead is like, you know, uh, it's like it'll change the battery consumption to a certain amount. It is crazy, though, that like we I, we always think of the switch as like a newer console. But this thing has been out for like four years now five yeah, it's been years out for now? a while i mean it's a really like a it was a between generations release which i think was smart but it also like it mm-hmm. is you know it is one of those um i think it was the right yeah. move like it seems like in every turn it has turned out to be a prescient and smart thing to do to release it between generations right um but it definitely is a between generations console like it's been around for a while which is another reason why this is so weird to me um because like i said like it seems like most people who want a switch would already have a switch. And it seems like this isn't enough to make someone who has a switch upgrade. Like, and I've heard a lot of like major switch lovers be like, listen, like I even own the switch light. Like some people got the switch light cause they like the feel of it when they play handheld or whatever. Uh, so yeah, this, this one seems to me to just be like, sort of like, yeah, they're like, it's like they're trying to like fill up time or something. Yeah, I mean, this will be like for another one. If you have a kid, if you're this feels like the ideal people to buy this are you have a child. It's your child's birthday soon. They don't have a switch yet. Now you can get them kind of a proto switch light that they can use as their handheld device. And it's a little bit better in a lot of small ways. Um, right. But that seems like a very narrow uh, sort of benefit. Yeah. It's like if like I'm like I, I, I like could like like a year from now be like if I see a 4K switch that has like a dope battery life and like maybe one more cool feature, then I'd be like, yeah, I could like totally see myself upgrading. But yeah, not for this. No. Yeah. No, no, no. Not today. Not, not today. today no. Not today. Say Tendo. Uh, so. <sighs> I got to talk about Blizzard for a second. All right. We got to talk about Blizzard for a second. Okay. Blizzard sort of, I would say Lux would agree with me on this. I'm the most ethical, moral company in the industry. Um, But their game Overwatch and and the sequel Overwatch 2, which was going so well. um, There's another, there's a new hiccup. New hiccup in reporting about Overwatch and Blizzard. Report Justice Department investigating the Overwatch League. Yep, yep, Activision yep. Blizzard's shooter had an esports scene with a soft salary cap. Now, I don't know much about salary because, <laughs> folks, I've never been on one and you'll never get me on one. Well, I just got on one. It's pretty cool. I suggest maybe you try it. I, I didn't know what it would be like. This is fully true. I'm being fully transparent out. I did not know what it would be like to be on salary. It's actually pretty chill. Cool. I was pretty scared um, of it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Cause like, why? Because all of a sudden you'd be working like 3000 hours. Yeah. And like I signed a contract, it means I can't do things like that. I can't do certain things and it was scary, but now it's like actually pretty good. Um, but I recommend mm-hmm. it, but also I don't recommend it. Anyone should choose. You should work the hours they you want to work. Delete this podcast as part um, of the contract. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's anyways, aside from that, uh, yeah, the set, there's, there's a soft salary cap in Overwatch. <laughs> And basically, the investigation is being headed up by the Civil Conduct Task Force. Those guys sound cool. Part of the department's antitrust division. According to Dot Esports, regulators are looking into whether the Overwatch League's secret soft cap on salaries violates the 1890 Sherman Antitrust Act. Oh, what an act. Because the players aren't unionized. Um... While the investigation isn't criminal, Dottie Sports reports that several former Overwatch League employees have already been interviewed by the Justice Department officials and that current Activision Blizzard employees have been instructed by the company to not tamper with or destroy information regarding player salaries. Um, So essentially what was happening as, as I read into this more was Overwatch League was doing something called a competitive balance tax. Yes. Um, the soft salary cap per team in 2020 was 1.6 million for every dollar franchises like San Francisco Shock, Shanghai Dragons and London Spitfire paid over that amount. They had to pay an equal additional amount to the league to be redistributed back to the other teams. Sort of like uh, sort of uh, like I mean, this friggin- is socialism <laughs> yeah i mean this is a luxury tax they have it in baseball and other sports yeah. this is like a classic a classic thing it's funny it is funny because a lot of the arguments they're making for why this is sort of anti-competitive antitrust illegal kind of stuff applies to many sports leagues uh which have antitrust exemptions that are and definitely sort of illegal, should should be illegal yeah, and these gamers, you know, they're just trying to be like the big guys, you know, not just not just in the in the sport aspects, but in the financial shenanigans in the background. Um, so essentially, I thought this was interesting because uh, basically, in theory, this would keep the league balanced in terms of team spending, but it would discourage teams from offering more competitive salaries to players. And and, and what what it kind of sounded to me like is like, oh well, the players can't unionize. But like the teams can like unionize with the fran- with the organization to ensure that they have like an equalness. Yeah. But like, but like the it's like it's like weird. It's like unionization for like companies. There's a long <laughs> and weird history of sort of the negotiation between management and labor in like sports and for sports salary stuff. Um, and this one is particularly strange because, like I said, a lot of that ended up getting resolved basically by the Supreme Court, I think, being like, yeah, this shit's illegal, but we all love baseball or whatever, or we all love the NFL. And so we are going to make it work. Mm-hmm. So like that happened, but this doesn't have that. And so they do have to navigate these rules, but they also have this you know, obvious sort of additional issue of. Like, what does this mean? Like, do they want to standardize a salary for all the players? Do they want to make spending money on certain players? Like, do you want to have like your LeBron Jameses who make the maximum and you surround them by people who get paid less? Or like, how does this work? Like, how do we balance all this? And it does, like you said, like there are things where teams can sort of unionize for how we're treated by our specific franchise, but there's not a players association or a collective bargaining framework for players as a whole. Um, 
which is essential part of like any, uh, any like serious, like labor negotiation stuff on this kind of level. Like there has to be a, a collective bargaining framework and there's simple, there's not. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I guess just like in other sports, you know, if you're playing on one of these esports teams or whatever, like you're making like 90 grand a year or something like that. Like you're making decent money. Like some people make a little over a hundred grand. Um, but that like, I mean, those le- like Overwatch League itself lasted like what two years? Yeah, max? it was not around for super long. So and, and so it's like it seems like uh, it's it's funny because typically with sports, it's like your your physical body gets older, so you can't like be at your peak anymore. That's why you know you can't be like a sixty year old uh, hockey man. All right, you know you don't you don't lose like physical specimen important stuff as you grow older in video gaming but it's like these people have just as like short as shelf lives yeah well you do you do lose that because this is a big discussion in the world of starcraft that there's like small motor skill reactions and brain reactions that do deteriorate as you get older and so like there are players who get older and it is sometimes some players are able to play sort of into their 30s or whatever and and maintain success and some players are not because like quick twitch muscles deteriorate a little bit or neurons in your brain get a little bit slower. And that shit makes a huge difference in games where like actions per minute have to be in like the hundreds. Yeah. It's also such a, it's also, it's such a weird world too, though, because like there's, there's like very correct me if I'm wrong, but like typically the people that we like, in a basketball like in the nba are like the talented players but in video games a lot of people are succeeding off not being the best but just having a fun personality and it's that's like what's super interesting it's like there's it's not like there's like a basketball player who's just like really fun to like hang out with but like isn't that great at the game and like could get just shit on by like all these normal guys but in games there are you know like i think of people like dr disrespect who like is not like the highest or like he's not the Michael Jordan of Warzone right now or anything like that. But he's like built a brand around just his personality and playing at like a certain high level. Um, yeah, but I mean, it's 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 almost like being the best at video games is not the end all be all or the most profitable. Right. There was a brief period where this was a little bit true about basketball, right? Like the early 2000s and the N1 mixtape tour. There was a time where like. 50, Half Man, Half Amazing, Skip to My Lou, those guys were as popular and as endorsed as as many NBA players. Um, but that was very short and it, and it went away very quickly. Um, right. And this is like this seems to be the deal that like people, the relatability of like sports, the appeal of sports, a lot of people is the sort of transcendent ability of the athletes that like. Julio Jones can run 24 miles an hour and is a person or uh, the dude of the NBA combine has a 49 inch vertical. These are things that like no one on earth can really do. Ladies. Yeah, for real. Um, Ladies on. uh, Sorry. These are things that people on earth, uh, whether dudes (laughs) or ladies or friends beyond the binary, like generally cannot do. Um, And so the reason sports are appealing is to see people do things like that. Um, whereas with video games, I think a lot of the appeal is that they are doing a thing that you can do and that you can relate mm-hmm. to. And that the part of that makes it interesting is, is that connection, um, and is that proximity. And so a certain level of skill is required for it to be impressive and interesting. Like you can't, the reason not a ton of people are watching the enforced and Megami Tensei stream is that we're not good at it. Um, 
and, mm-hmm. and that's not the only reason there's plenty of reasons people aren't watching it but that's one of them um and mm-hmm. but being sufficiently good at it makes it alluring and interesting people want to think about the game and, it, and it's cool and you don't get stuck and stuff like that but being incredible at it the difference between being good and incredible does not necessarily make a meaningful difference to the audience uh as far as like, and, what's and, appealing and, and and oftentimes like is not is not like the smartest way to focus yourself in terms of uh, approaching a career in gaming. It's it's much more about, yeah, having a relationship with your audience than it is about being technically the best, um, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Uh, you know, I think sports could take a lesson from that. I'm tired of all these good players. I just want chill guys. That's why I'm a big fan of uh, our friend uh, Shohei Otani of the Los Angeles Angels. Um, oh yeah is he just a viber he's incredible he's like the best he's the most incredible baseball player i've ever seen but he also seems like the chillest man alive i've never seen him have an interaction that doesn't end with him laughing and smiling which is cool (laughs) as hell like there are times like the umpires come out and they're like we got to check you to see if you're cheating he's like okay and then he's like has Mm -hmm. a great time or someone like hits a home or someone like hits a home and he's cheating every time oh no he is super not it's crazy he's like one of the only players who's not do you know about this this is like one of the craziest things they baseball has decided in the middle of the season that they decided they were going to increase enforcement of like pitchers manipulating the baseball with foreign substances, which is like a thing that's been happening for a long time. Um, They've been slathering the balls. Oh, yeah. They've been slathering the balls for years and they're still allowed to slather it just with like the league allowed slathers. But people were using not allowed slathers. People were using forbidden slathers. Um, Slathers with a hidden mouthfeel. So, okay, so here's the thing that I want to say to, to, to ask you about. Um, speaking of Blizzard, um, I've learned, Blizz. I learned this week that Diablo 2 Resurrected, about which I'm very excited because I loved Diablo 2 originally, um, does not have couch co-op. Um, they were they removed a feature? No, it, it never had couch. It didn't have couch co-op originally, but they okay. did not add it. And the reason they say they did not add it is because they say it takes away from the uh, the originality of the game because the key is that the character is always at the center of the screen. And so if you have two characters on the same screen, they can't both be in the center. Um, is this dog shit or not? Why can't each person playing have a... Oh, I see. They said split. Oh, they I also mean, didn't want to do split screen. I, listen, bro. Listen, brother. No matter what, you're you're a bird's eye view game. It's gonna look like shit no matter what. So don't worry about it. Let there be a million players. Yeah. Let it, it be a battle royale. Because it's got eight player uh, online co op, which sounds very interesting and fun. But that's everyone centered on their own screen. Yeah, exactly. And that seems fine. But I am so upset that I can't do couch co op. Because I love Diablo 3 Couch Co-op. I had so much fun playing Diablo 3 Couch Co-op. I thought so it was great. So they did it in the next one. Right. They had it in Diablo 3, but this is Diablo 2. In Diablo wow. 3, it's not framed. The camera is not framed. The visual isn't built around you being in the center. But in Diablo 2, we, it was. How do we get the Department of Justice to look into that? That's right. That's what I care about. That's I, These antitrust things, well, they're always going on. Yeah, they're always happening. And man, I, you know, we're, they're always working, huh? There's no, there are no trust. There ain't, there's no trust in America. Yeah. Ain't no trust. No loyalty. Ain't just no trust fake, in America. Just fake, you know, just fakesters and, and clout sharks and uh, crypto influencers, you know, no loyalty anymore out here in these streets. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I just think it it sucks. It makes me sad. I'm mad about it. I was really excited about this game and now I'm less excited. 
I've been looking forward to doing couch co-op with buds. I mean, I'm still excited about doing online co-op. It might be the kind of thing that we can stream because they're doing like they're trying to do cross-platform stuff. So it might be something that like you can stream on Zoom and I can play with you and our friends on different platforms can play and that might be fun. That's but cool. It's still like what I really crave was the the couch co-op experience. Well, it's it's interesting that you mentioned sort of uh, an, an an online ability to maybe play with friends because I, I, the final game that I wanted to talk to you about Lux today is uh, a game about history that's for the first time going fully online. I of course I'm talking about Assassin's Creed infinity okay i'm excited for you to tell me this because i saw there was a thing about it and then remembered i don't care about assassin's creed so i didn't read it exactly well that means you don't care about history so you're doomed to repeat it that's probably true quite quite a templar of you um you know assassin's creed has always taught me how the world worked how the pope got his ass kicked how leonardo da vinci created the the like the explosive cross bolt right Um, how like weird cultists (laughs) caused the lisbon earthquake yeah uh and and that's always been really helpful but today there was a major leak about the new game that ubisoft has been working on uh and because of that leak ubisoft came out and did an official announcement about the game they are not creating a singular historical experience every about a year and a half like normal they are creating a live service game let's go live service it's alive folks it's alive this service is alive and it's uh it's about to uh you know it's about to take over this nation uh basically what they're saying is they're going to create an assassin's creed online world that lets you go into all sorts of different histories and different timelines. So it's a game that's not constrained to one timeline, but you might like take portals to like a dungeon in Italy and then, you know, go to one in Egypt. Um, That is pretty fucking weird. (laughs) Um, I feel like it's time for them to do something different and weird, but it is interesting that they are going into the live service department because, you know, after a while, it does get hard. It, it There is like diminishing returns to being like, oh, now this one's in China. Now this one's pirate. You know, it like also, can only do that so many times. Yeah, it just feels like so much of what makes Assassin's Creed fun is just like adventuring around um, and like playing by yourself. Like the only thing that appeals to me are those games that I was just making fun of uh, uh, is that like you know, because I was in front of them pretty dramatically inert, which they are, but there is like a fun solo adventure element to it. And it mm-hmm. feels weird to, to sort of get rid of that. And I know you can do that in a live service game. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't like deny that possibility, but it does sort of like implicate, like you can't get the full experience of it without having to engage with other people and do other things together or whatever, you know? Um, also yeah, sometimes and- the internet goes out in a rainstorm. What about then? Also, no one has done a good live service game. So it's always like, it's always like, okay, uh, good luck. But it is interesting that like uh, a franchise that like has never really done like any kind of like 
gnarly like pvp multiplayer or like or i don't know it just it seems like a game that like is so single player focused that they like have to like come up with like completely new mechanics and stuff if they're doing like team-based work or if they're doing like pvp like it just seems like they're like starting from like kind of scratch with a lot of that stuff um yeah. to me at least no it does seem uh, like they'd have to build it all from from the bottom up that's another thing is that like yeah, they already have so many assets um, that they're just like that they could use, but that now they can't <laughs> that are like no longer viable because they're all single player. They're all set up for single player offline stuff. Yeah, so they're setting themselves up for success with this, but it is also <laughs> interesting because that when they when they talked about why they wanted to do this live service game is, you know, Ubisoft has so many different companies around the world that they're able to like put one of these games out each year because they like be like okay ubisoft montreal or whatever or like ubisoft paris or whatever the fuck um they're like all working on separate games but this game is the first time where all of the companies have come together and formed some sort of voltron to create this live service game and it's a pattern that we're seeing all over games right now i mean blizzard specifically like um you know they got bought by Activision and Activision is like pulling people from Blizzard games to just keep making Call of Duty Warzone season patches and Battle Royale patch like Battle Pass updates like there is this like there is this like consolidation of companies into creating these like larger games that just update themselves yeah it's it is it is becoming sort of like this thing where every company generates like a cash cow game yeah, that becomes the primary focus. And then everything else kind of takes a backseat to that as they work on it. And sometimes they sort of, at least from a financial perspective, get it right. Like things like, like Warzone seems to be very successful. Um, but also Warzone has like a distinct lack of content and like the way they get by on that is just by dripping out these little battle passes. And it's like fascinating to me to be like, oh yeah, like of course Ubisoft is looking at that and being like, why the fuck do we have to make a whole new game every year? Like, why can't we just release a fucking new battle pass with like almost no content and like still make that cash? Like, of course they're going to do that. Yeah. A hundred percent, you know? And so it's like, eh, this game like like the promise of like making a lot of money and doing very little of course these companies are going to go for that the main problem is is that very few people have made a live service game that anyone wants to fucking play yeah absolutely that is <laughs> yeah that is the big thing about it is that like they just don't it just doesn't work that way and we've seen so many times that like all people want is good games they can enjoy and talk to their friends about and like bond over and that doesn't I think people think that implies online interaction, but it super doesn't because so many games that have like been the zeitgeist aren't online games like there was like a big t like for a while. I, all anyone could talk about was Mario Odyssey and Breath of the Wild or like God of War or Horizon Zero Dawn. And those are all single player games like it's this appeal. This this model, I think. To a certain like alienates or or sort of like diminishes the experience of a bunch of type people who play video games aside from the people who play games on like a strictly mechanical challenge level. Um, and those people exist and that's great for them, but that's not most people. I don't think. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, listen, like if there's like a if there's like a, a you know, if they make it into some sort of like World of Warcraft type thing and it's good, I'll play it like good for them. Um, but I do think it is like people going with like a tr- like a trend that's working, but not necessarily something that like it is just like always going to work for them. Um, it is interesting, though, that like companies used to like split up like Ubisoft into these like eight, nine location companies. And we're starting to see much more consolidation in that, which um, will be very interesting. Um, besides that, Ubisoft is literally run by like an international like Templar of sex pests. Uh, so they got a lot of problems over there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. seems like it's going to be a mess, but boy, listen, I, I love learning. Okay. And so I'll be there. Yeah. I mean, I'll we, be there. No, we no love to see what. what happens. And this is, We'd I love it to is see true. this is where you get most of your history knowledge from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they, they're going to teach classes about Assassin's Creed. Um, they'll say something about it for sure. <laughs> um that's one Uh, thing we can all guarantee i mean that that, that's all i got today lux that's all i got oh last thought about assassin's creed last thought any game named infinity is doomed to fail uh like don't put infinity or anything like infinite bioshock infinite you know don't put infinite in front of your title it's it's not gonna help it's going to hurt and and i would like to mention that uh, not too long ago, Halo Infinite was being worked on as a live service, massively online game, and it is now an N64 single player campaign experience. Uh, and so I expect Assassin's Creed, um, you know, we'll see how how long Infinity really lasts. Yeah, you know, you know what they say, uh, Infinity is it bigger or smaller than a set that contains all Infinities plus one. If I had a nickel. Well, Lux, that's it. Folks, we love you. We love you. Check out twitch.tv slash gymroom. Check out twitch.tv slash Forrest G. Walker. If you want to see me play Shin Megami Tensei. Um, And follow Haley on Instagram and YouTube at Eat Every Sound. And you can follow Griffin on Twitter at at Griffin P. Davis. And me on Twitter at Tailboy. And that's everything you need to know about us. Wow. Incredible. Um, yeah, I'll I, I, all I, I wrote people. a little. I wrote the thing down to, to so we could just rip through it. Hell yeah, I'll do it next time. Hell yeah. All right, uh, later everyone. Have a good time. <laughs> <laughs>